Okay. All resuscitologists, we are go, no go for podcasting. Pre-hospital. Go. Emergency. Go. Anesthesia. Go. Pediatrics. Go. Trauma. Go. ICU. Go. Resuscitologist. We are go for podcasting. Hello, I'm Natalie May, and I'm joined today by Libby Hanrahan, who is one of the critical care paramedics with Sydney Hems. Hello. Hi, Libby. Thank you for coming to chat with me. I really wanted to get your thoughts about something. So now that I'm working in pre-hospital care, I have a bit more of an idea what I'm doing when I come across patients outside of the hospital environment. But before then, I really had absolutely no idea. I thought it might be useful for people listening to have an idea of how they can be useful if they come across a patient outside of a hospital environment, how they can bring their skills and their attitudes and their knowledge to that environment basically without making things worse and making an idiot of themselves. And I thought you might be a good person to answer that question. So, yeah, I've absolutely had a lot of uh, healthcare professionals from doctors through to other allied health professionals offer their assistance at uh, lots and lots of jobs over the years. And, yeah, sometimes it's very helpful and other times it can be quite polarising. And I suppose there's probably two phases. There's the, you know, you come across a patient or an incident before the ambulance is there and you're the one making the triple O call. So I suppose if we just quickly think about what are a couple of the things that you need to be able to be armed with to make an effective triple O call, obviously the address of where you are, what the closest cross street is. And I think people take this for granted. What's the closest cross street of your office where you work? And a lot of people would have no clue. So these are things that you need to know. And then if you're actually travelling on a highway, well, spend two seconds whilst you're travelling along, working out whether you're heading north or south, actually the name of the highway you're on, and every now and again look at, you know, some exit uh, roadways and just mental note the actual name of the last exit that you went past because these are the questions you're going to be asked and that sort of stuff should be really intuitive nowadays because we're all using our phones and our sat navs and our google maps to work out where we're going so it should be intuitive we just need to be a little bit more conscious about it in day-to-day life absolutely and also i suppose if you're pre-armed with the knowledge that you're going to be asked these things before you even get an opportunity to tell the triple o call taker what the incident is, you're not going to get frustrated. They need to know where you are before they are going to find out what's actually going on. And that's a good that's a good learning point to take away. So when you make that emergency call, triple O in Australia or nine 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 in the UK or one one two internationally, what's the sequence of information that they ask for? They ask for where you are first before they want to know what the na- nature yep. of the event is. They'll they'll want to know where you are. They'll want to know a. F- phone number so that if the line drops out or if they need to call you back for further information, they can get back in touch with you. And then they're going to ask you a scripted questions, a series of scripted questions around what the actual incident is. And all of these scripted questions run through an algorithm for them to send you an ambulance and the best possible resources based on the algorithm. So a couple of other, I suppose, just quick apps that can be used for locations that are synonymous with all emergency services in Australia, like they will all use them, is the What Three Words 
and the emergency app. These are ways that you can just on your smartphone go into these apps and it will give you exactly your location and that may be something that the emergency call taker will prompt you to look at. And what three words is an amazing invention isn't it because it's using three discrete English language words to identify a GPS location. Yep, that's exactly right. And it's, it's uh, I suppose, an easier format than actually having to say multiple numbers um, in a stress-induced situation as opposed to just having to say three words. Yeah, absolutely. Because giving a GPS coordinate set of coordinates can is quite tricky and a simple transcription of reversing two numbers can make quite a big geographical difference. Absolutely, absolutely. Fantastic. Okay, so we want people to make an emergency call if they come across an emergency. Do we necessarily want them to stop? If they're going to stop, how can they be helpful and not be a hindrance to the So I suppose a big thing is, is it safe for you to stop? If it's safe for you to stop, absolutely you should stop. One, you might be able to render assistance. Two, you'll be able to gather better information to be able to transpose that over to the triple O call taker. So you're going to be getting the right resources to that incident. If it's not safe for you to stop, well, then that doesn't mean you don't then put the call through. You put the call through and you say, it was unsafe for me to stop. If you've made the decision that, yep, I'm going to stop, I feel safe to do so, you feel safe that you can approach the scene, the incident, whatever it may be, then you need to make a judgment call as to what your skill set equips you to do. If this is a foreign environment and you don't feel you have the skill set to be in that environment, then don't put yourself in that environment. If you have the skill set, absolutely make a good assessment of exactly what the incident is, the number of patients, the severity of the patients. The more information you can give the emergency call taker, then obviously the more appropriate resource response you're going to get. And then once the paramedic crews arrive on scene, how should we conduct ourselves then? Because I think that's possibly the area that some of us might fall down. Yeah, and I suppose I touched on it before. I've had some very positive interactions with uh, healthcare workers that have offered their assistance, but then I've had some polarising experiences. So I suppose the first thing to acknowledge is that the paramedics on scene are professionals and this is their office. They know what they're doing. They are exceptional at what they do. And so if you're going to offer your assistance, introduce yourself actually define what your skill set is and then I think the most important thing is that you need to ask the paramedics how can I help it's not a presumption that you inject yourself into their team in a hospital-based scenario because it's different it's very different pre-hospital and what you might do in the hospital is not relevant in this environment so they might get you to do something as simple as putting pressure on a wound And that might be the most critical, important thing for that patient. And you need to absolutely take direction. If you feel confident and safe to do that, then you do that. Obviously, if there's other skills or other equipment that you're carrying, you can have a normal conversation, a respectful conversation, and say, I can offer X. And if that paramedics are accepting of this, brilliant. But they may determine that it's not a priority in this pre-hospital environment that is their office and their domain. 
Yeah, so it's not the environment to assume that you're the expert in whatever this is. Even if it happens to be your special interest area, it probably isn't your special interest area to treat it in this environment. And we should defer to the expertise and the professionalism of our paramedic colleagues and really take the lead from them and come at this with a collaborative Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I have to say the experiences that I've had that have been positive where people have in- introduced themselves and they can be, you know, a, emergency specialists themselves. And I have to say they're probably the best at these scenes because they ha- already have that presumed respect for the paramedic. They already have an appreciation of what the pre-hospital world is versus the hospital world. And they're happy to take more of that backseat position and add a supportive role on the direction of the paramedic. So for me, the polarising experiences have been where you have a dermatologist offer their assistance hands-on for a combative unconscious head injury and it becomes obstructive to what actually needs to be achieved for that patient. That, for me, is a job I will never forget in the city of Sydney and it becomes very difficult to manage and it actually takes away from effective patient care in that scenario. Yeah, I guess that's no different from, if we put it into our hospital context, it's no different from us trying to resuscitate somebody in the ED recess room and then having a specialty doctor come down and disagree with our treatment plan and try to get divide the team and just appreciating the amount of extra mental bandwidth that goes into managing that difficult person alongside your potentially critically ill, critically injured patient. We don't need that. We do it because we have to. And what you're saying is we don't have to be that person in the pre-hospital environment either. Absolutely. And I'm not saying that the paramedic knows everything and there may be something wonderful that you can add, but it's all about how you actually offer that resource or that skill. If you're asking if it would be helpful, that's very different to making a presumption that you know better than these professionals who are currently working in their environment. So just to round this off then, is there anything that you would keep in your personal vehicle, for example, just so that you feel that you could intervene if you need to with your skill set that you have? My skill set being a critical care helicopter paramedic, I carry gloves because I want to keep myself safe. I make sure that if I'm going to step out onto a roadway that I've deemed is safe for me to do so, I will still make sure that I remain visible and protected by my own vehicle as a, you know, actual physical barrier. I will make sure that every other bystander isn't getting themselves into trouble. And so that might mean that I'm doing that above and beyond actually getting to the patient because if I think that there's going to be another casualty, that's important. Because I have access to it, I have a disposable resuscitation bag in my car. However, if you don't have access to that because that's not the world you work in, you need to have it clear in your head, what are you prepared to do? And if you don't want to be doing mouth-to-mouth on someone, that is absolutely your choice to make and it is absolutely okay to not be giving someone mouth-to-mouth. These are the decisions. You have to make your decisions based on what is safe and right for you given the circumstances that you're presented with. Yeah, and what I carry in my vehicle is very similar. So I've got um, gloves, I've got my road crash PPE, which is a high-vis jacket and a hard hat that are ambulance issue that I, I'm taking to work and they just live in my car. So I know that they're always accessible. And I have a 
a pocket mask that I bought myself. So I'm prepared to hold an airway open with a pocket mask and I could potentially give mouth to mouth through that if I decide to. And I might have a few spare surgical masks in the COVID era as well, just in case. Yep. And I know that a lot of people have a very simple first aid kit with just some big combines. So big pads for, you know, that bleeding patient. So you've got the gloves, you've got the pad and you're keeping yourself safe. And that might be enough to save a life if you can uh, put some pressure on a critical bleed somewhere, um, as long as you feel safe whilst doing it. Then when the ambos arrive, you ask, how can I help? Fantastic. And the last thing we should probably mention is to use your phone to make that emergency call. And then we shouldn't need to say it, but not tweeting and sharing photographs of the the accident scene or any other patient identifiable information that's just not cool and not necessary and it's not helpful for the crews who subsequently arrive on scene to see photographs that you've taken they can see it in front of themselves and they're able to take pictures to take to hospital if they need to take them absolutely Um, we have very strict guidelines in a professional sense and i think that if you're someone pulling over as a healthcare professional of any type you should respect um, those guidelines even if you're not there in a professional context and you're just a citizen that's rendering assistance then have the respect to not take these photos to not distract from whatever the incident is. Libby, thank you so much for your time and thank you for all those amazing nuggets. I guess in summary, we're talking about looking at what's in front of us, being prepared to help, but acting within our own skill set, not putting ourselves and other people in danger, and then working in combination and in collaboration with our paramedic colleagues, respecting them. And this is really their scene, their job. We are there to help them if they want us to. Absolutely. Absolutely. 